Man, glad to be here this morning. I have a question that I want to pose to you as you are sitting here and we're getting the communion cups passed around. And that question is, is how would you uh, consider your faith? Right? If I was to ask you and to take an honest assessment of your faith, uh, how would you say your faith is? Would you say your faith is secure? Would you say your faith is and movable, unwavering, uh, when storms come and, and it gets dark around you, would you say that your faith is firm in the foundation? Uh, the reason why I ask you this question is because uh, a lot of times you're going to find yourself in a situation where your faith is tested, right? Where, where a lot of times we're called out on the carpet to give a defense for what we believe in. Or uh, there may be a moment where we have to step in and go, okay, is this what I truly believe or is it not? I remember uh, just a little while back, I had a conversation with a Muslim man. I was in a coffee shop, and we were kind of chatting back and forth, and it was the only seat left in the coffee house, so I figured this is the divine opportunity, right? And uh, so we were sitting there talking back and forth, and I remember what it feels like to be in the hot seat. You ever been there? You know, when someone starts questioning you what you believe, and even as a pastor, I'm going, wait, what did he just say, and where did he go with that, and how does that all go together? And, and even for me, I'm going, okay, where, okay, how does this all line up again, you know, trying to help him kind of bridge that over and show him what that all looked like. And, and even for me, I was in the hot seat. I was going, man, i got to really dig deep here to, to kind of give him a defense for what I believe in. And uh, just a quick scroll on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. I mean, there's so many ideologies and philosophies and theological ideas out there. It is insane. I mean, we're in the information generation. I mean, it is a constant onboarding and downloading of information. And when we're trying to decipher, right, what is true, what is not true. Even just last night, I was scrolling around on Instagram, and a guy was trying to say that a piece of the Bible was not reliable and that you can't trust it and it's irrelevant for our time. And I'm going, what in the world? And, you know, we get on Instagram, and it's almost like the new church, you know. There really is no gatekeeper anymore. Now anybody can be the preacher or the pastor, and they just say, well, God said blank, and then everybody just takes it at face value. Well, we can't do that. Right, And it's not only on social media, it's in our schools, it's in universities, it's, it's even within churches. Can you believe that? That, that when you show up to Sunday morning, you've got to be on your guard going, okay, is what he's saying really true? I hope, and I, I, I'm going to try to speak on behalf of Craig, when you hear us preach, get your Bible open, read with us, see what the Word says, because we're not trying to pull some kind of quick one on you. It's all in the Word of God, right? And so that's why we drive it home every time to get your Bibles out, because we want to make sure we're taking you back to the source from which we got the Word, right? And so when we think about that, if we can't shield ourselves from that, everywhere we go, we're going to deal with, okay, am I trying to determine what's true here? What do we do, right? What do we do? We, we have to anchor ourselves, Right? We have to anchor ourselves in some core fundamental beliefs of this is what we believe so that when we are tested, when we are called out on the carpet and say, what do you believe? We can say, I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is what I believe. And that when we get moved around by the waters and the storms of life, the anchor is set in that water. Now, here's one thing that I know. How many of you have been on some water before? Anybody? A boat, water, anything like that? Well, when you're in a boat, maybe depending on what kind of boat you're in, when you set an anchor, you can't just haphazardly throw the anchor out and just assume that it's going to just catch the bottom and your boat's secure. Am I right? Right? You can't just throw it out there and go, all right, we got the anchor. We're good to go because you may wake up from sleeping and go, okay, well, how do we get here? 
right? You kind of deviated from where you were. Now, when you set an anchor, in fact, I want you to look up here. I'm going to show you some different types of anchors. I was studying this week and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know there's so many different types of anchors. But depending on the type of bottom, right, whether it's sand, dirt, clay, seaweed, whatever it is, it would determine what type of anchor you need, right? The type of water that you're in, the type of boat that you're in. What I'm trying to get at is that it takes some intentionality to set an anchor, Right, as a, as a people, we can't just go, okay, I think that's what I'm gonna anchor myself into and just throw it out there and hope that it catches. We have to examine, we have to observe, we have to digest and go, is this what I believe? And then when I know that that is what I believe, I take my anchor and I set it. And it stabilizes me, it sets me so that when the storms come and when the waters begin to rage, that I know what I believe. And so the first one we're going to look at today is the Word of God. So we got, a, we got a big one today. We got to look at the Word of God. What do we believe about the Word of God? So get with your Bibles, get them out, and uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 12. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to kind of go over what do I mean by the Word of God? Because you may be thinking, okay, well, what do you mean by that, right? What is the Word of God? Well, when we look at the Bible, the Word of God is often referenced in many different ways. The Word of God could be, uh, maybe his, his, uh, the Word of God could be his decree, right? When he spoke creation into being, he spoke it. It's his Word. Uh, John 1.1 says that Jesus was the Word, right? And that he became flesh and he dwelled among us. So you got Jesus is the Word. Then you have the prophets, The prophets often would communicate God's word to God's people. And so there's God's word being translated and communicated that way. And then you have the written word, which we kind of, we know that is primarily was from the the Ten Commandments, but really more recognizably today is the written word of God, which is the Bible we have in our hands or the device that you're looking at today uh, with the Bible is the written word of God. The written word of God is, is uh, consisted of 66 books. In fact, I had researched it. There's been between six to seven billion, with a B, copies sold of the Bible. Can you believe that? Six to seven billion copies. So there's a lot of people who have the Bible that are, that are reading it, that are familiar with it, probably more likely sitting on a table somewhere collecting dust, right? Uh, but there's a lot of copies that have been sold. Uh, the Bible's 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years. So we have quite a a text here, right? quite a resource, quite a thing here that we have that we're going to study and go, okay, why do we believe this is God's word? Why why can I trust this as the reliable, without error, uh, relevant Bible, right? God's word to me today. And so when I talk about the Bible, we're going to talk about the scriptures, right? His Bible here in my hands. And so... Uh, That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, why? Because we have a movement that's going around this world called progressive Christianity. You ever heard of it? Progressive Christianity is this movement where it's a, these, these people have a low view of the Bible, right? What they believe is, is, is more about their personal beliefs. It's about what they feel and what they believe. And, and they read that into the text. Whereas a Bible-believing church, we would read out of the text and allow God's word to dictate how we feel and how we live and how we go about life. Right? We're not reading into the text. So we have a high view. We eat, sleep, and breathe God's word around here. Right? We're not going to tell God what to do. We're not going to read in here and go, well, God, I feel this way about this text. And so I think you should alter this. And I think you should just, I think the interpretation really needs to be changed here uh, because I just don't feel like this is it. Or I personally just don't believe that that's what God was saying there. Right? We, that, that is progressive Christianity. 
But what we're saying is a high view of the Bible would say, I know this is God's word and this is how we're going to live and this is how we're going to operate because God said so. Amen? So that's why we have to know, okay, why do we believe that this is God's word? And so we must be anchored in this. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 4 starting in verse 12. And this is the word of God. Uh, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so I got you one verse, right? I made it really easy today. You just got to read one verse, camp out right here. We're going to figure out and we're going to tear this thing apart and go, okay, what do we believe about God's word? Why do we eat, sleep, and breathe God's word? Why does Craig say, when we get up here, what does he say? Get out your Bibles, right? We make it a point because we want you to come back to the authoritative word of God because we believe this is his word. We believe this is how he communicates with us. And so with that, I want to give you just a few points of, as to why we can trust the Bible and what we believe about it. Are you all ready? All right, at this point, I'm going to tell you, on the Cross Creek app, if you download it, all my notes are there. So I'm going to be quoting Scripture. So if you, for some reason, go, where is it? It's not on the screen. There was so much, I couldn't put it on the screen, okay? So just go there, download the app. You can look at it there, or you can review it later on this week. So don't, don't get overwhelmed. I, can wa- I, watch you, I watched the last group. You can see everybody writing, and they would look up and go, oh. And then they write another scripture. So it's in the app. Just look it up and uh, all that will be right there. So first point is God's word is alive. All right, everybody say it with me. God's word is alive. We see that right there in the front part of this scripture, that God's word is alive. It's not just some dead words from a dead man that's passed away and he's just passed it on for generations. That's not what God's word is. God's word is living, right? It's from himself. Uh, It's more than just some history book, right? Some people believe that the Bible is just some record of something about 66 books recording history. No, it is more than that. And so here's what I want to do. I want to break this down into two different categories. One is divine inspiration and two is divine transformation. So let's take the first one, divine inspiration. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, you ready? All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Right there, all scripture is inspired by God. If you take the word inspired, it means to breathe out, that God breathed out his words to us, that he breathed into creation. He spoke these words into action. They are living because God is alive. If God is alive, his word is alive for us today. And so it's his inspired word, his exact word, that which he has given to us, his personal declaration of himself to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that because, man, I'm really thankful that there's a God in heaven who said, I love you so much and that I want to care for you so much that I have given you my word. He didn't just leave us to wander around this earth and go, okay, what is my purpose and what is meaning and who is God again? No, it reveals everything we know about God in this life all right here through his breathed out word, his living word, divine inspiration. Then there's divine, uh, divine transformation, right? Divine transformation means that it's life-changing, right? That it's life-changing. We learn in 1 Peter 1, 19 through 21, no prophecy of Scripture has come from the prophet's own interpretation. 
Because no prophecy has come by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, uh, Scripture says that, that, we, that Jesus, he's praying to God. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so as these men were carried along, they're writing the Bible. They're, they're inspired by God. God's breathing out his word through them. They're carried along by the Holy Spirit. That very word transforms lives. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means to cleanse, to make pure, right? So there's this transformative work that the word's doing within our own lives. Then you got Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So not only is it sanctified, but now it's transforming our minds. So there is a, a transformative work that God's doing through his, through his word, and I love this because a lot of times when people look at the Bible, they look at it as some kind of productivity hack or like some kind of behavior modification. Well, God said, don't do this, so just do the opposite of that. No, his word is way more than that. His word transforms our lives. It transforms countries. It transforms word. You know, I, I remember going into early on in my ministry, I'd walk into a pastor's office and there's so many books, right? You know, all over the place. There's all these books everywhere. And even in my own office, you walk in, I got several books. And there was one time I sat back in my chair and I was so convicted because, man, I'd read all these books and all those books did for me. You know what they did for me? They informed me. They informed how I should be a leader. They informed the spiritual discipline I should do. They informed how I should live my life, but they were not transforming my life. The one book that sits on my desk that I read daily is the Bible. And the Bible is the one, the one book that transforms my life. And so we can read tons of self-help books. We can read tons of leadership books and go, okay, oh, I want to be transformed. I want to be tra the real transform, transformation that happens is through the Word of God, not through some other book that we read, but through this living and active Word. It doesn't just informs us, it transforms us. First Peter 1.23 says that the Word of God endures forever. If it endures forever, what does it got to do? It's got to be living. For something to endure, it's got to be living. And it says that His Word's going to endure forever. It will outlast anything in this world. And so we can trust it. We can trust because it's been divinely inspired by God and it brings divine transformation in our lives, in our homes, in our schools, in our colleges, and in our world. The next point is this, is that God's word is effective, right? He says it's not only alive, but then he says it's effective, that it goes forth, it does what it's supposed to do. That when God purposes something and his word goes forth, that it's going to accomplish what it has been sent out to do. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, every once in a while when I leave my MacBook out, uh, if I leave it out long enough, what does it go into? Standby, sleep, right? Sleep mode, standby mode. Uh, let me just tell you, God's word has no sleep mode. It has no standby mode where it's on, but it's just waiting to be activated or it's just waiting to be effective. God's word at this very moment as you're sitting in this room is moving, it's active, it's changing people's lives. It's not just sleeping until you go over and go wiggle your mouse or go wiggle the cursor on your laptop. No, it's awake, it's already moving. It's not dependent on us. For it's God's word, breathed out, inspired, transforming lives. It's, a, it's it, what communicates to us God's character, his purposes. It's a reliable guide to us. But I had read this uh, article 
from Barna, and, and it was back in 2021, it's called the State of the Bible, and they had taken all these polls, and they were trying to figure out what do people really believe about the Bible, what's the priority of the Bible in someone's life, and uh, this stat just kind of caught me, it just kind of came off the paper, it said, but 66% of Christian adults only read the Bible once a month or less. 66%. So that only leaves 34% of adults that read the Bible once a month or more. Now, why did I say that? I didn't say that to try to guilt trip you this morning. I, that's not what I was trying to do. In fact, I look at my own life, and there's still parts in my life where I, I miss a day, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, it just got so busy. In fact, my wife and I, my wife's over here, we have no kids, and so we got to, we got to practice having kids by watching our nephews the last three days. And now let me just tell you, I, I, I've now seen from a parent's perspective when they say, man, I haven't been in the Word recently. I go, I feel your pain. Because all I remember the other morning, I woke up and the two kids were fighting. I said, you go to your room, you go to your room. And then I'm sitting at the table and I'm eating breakfast. And then we had to get out and go somewhere. And we're running out. And she's like, I forgot to eat breakfast. So we had to stop and get breakfast. And then we show up, we're supposed to show up. And I'm like, oh man, I forgot to get in the word this morning. <laughs> yeah, I told, that totally just slipped right past my mind. And, uh, and I realized that it can be really difficult for us as, as the speed of life, as the events to keep, keep piling on top of each other, uh, that it can be really, really complicated to find time to be in his word. But the reason why I wanted to share that with you is just I want you to assess in your own heart how much is this a priority in your life? I realize that it may not be an everyday thing where you get to sit down and read God's word, though that is the goal. We would ask you, man, please make this a daily priority. But is it, even in the stage of life you're in right now, is it a priority? Is it effective in your life? And, and what I want to do is I want to give you just a few things the word of God does just to kind of help give you a little bit of a boost. If you're thinking, hey, I don't know if this is really effective, I want to give you a few things uh, that may help you kind of boost you along. Number one is that God's word reveals. Right, God's word reveals. John 1, 1, that Jesus came. He's the word. He's revealed to us the way of everlasting life. Uh, in 1 Peter 1, 23, it says that uh, you have been born again, right? Not of uh, perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Right, that through his word that he has revealed to us the person of Jesus. And now we know that through him, the way, the truth, and the life, we have a relationship with the Father. It reveals to us. It communicates to us. It communicates God's omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. His grace, his mercy, his kindness, his faithfulness to us. You know, a lot of times people will say, man, I feel distant from God. And a lot of times I would come back and say, okay, how much time have you spent in the word? Because if we feel distant from God, then maybe we don't know him because we're not in his word that reveals his character to us. It tells us who he is and how we are to live and be in relationship with him and with others. It also develops. It develops. It says in Romans 8.29 that we are to be conformed in his image. Right? To be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord, says 2 Corinthians 3.18. It even refers to the word of God as spiritual milk. Isn't that interesting? That the word of God is referred to as spiritual milk. As if there's, there's some type of sustaining power that the word of God has in our life. That just like milk for a baby gives its life and gives its nourishment, that the word of God gives its nourishment. It's not only referred to as spiritual milk, but then Jesus says this about the word in Matthew 4.4. 4. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
So there appears to be this idea that, that the word of God gives us nourishment, that it is sustaining our life, that it's giving life to our very bodies. It's effective. It's relevant for today. It also defends us. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Right, that when we hide God's word in our lives, when, we, when we're hiding it in there, we're, we're putting it deep within, that it builds a fortress towards, towards uh, the, the devil and, and his schemes. And as he's coming after us, that God's word is like a wall. And that when he begins to come and bring his lies, that the truth stops and says, that's not true. This is what's true. Paul describes the word of God in Ephesians 6.17 as the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Isn't that interesting that even in spiritual warfare, the word of God is used to combat the schemes of the enemy. And Satan cannot withstand when you begin to quote scripture, when you begin to put it on the walls of your home, when you begin to write it on the bathroom mirrors and you're quoting it and memorizing it, he cannot stand that because it goes against everything he stands for. The word of God is living, it's effective, it sustains us, it strengthens us, it liberates us, and imparts wisdom to us. Guys, I could write a whole other message on what all the things the word of God does for us. I could. But here's the deal is that many people won't embark on the journey just to begin reading it. You know, how many of y'all have planners out there? Raise your hand. Who's all planners in my room? Okay, there we go. Okay. Well, hey, I'm kind of a planner. I really stink at detail, but I like to plan things out, right? I like to know what we're going to do. And uh, when I think about reading the Bible, sometimes some of the things that will stop me from reading is I got to go, I got to have a really good plan in place. You know, I got to have the right pens and the right pencil. Anybody in the house, who am I getting right now? Right, you got to have the right markers to you know, make sure it doesn't bleed through, and and uh, I got to make sure I got a ruler because I want straight lines. Right, anybody? Okay, I was, I'm just trying to pick on some people this morning. I got to have a chronological Bible. It's got to be, you know, and we start drawing up this plan, but then we never actually apply the plan because we've spent so much time planning the darn thing that we never get around to doing it. I've been there. I've done that. But here's the here's the secret. You can start today. You can start today. Now, I don't want you, I don't, I hate when I do this because it always sounds like a gimmick, right? But our church has developed a resource. It's called the 21-Day John Explore Study. It's 21 daily readings through the book of John. This is, it's literally the book of John in this book form. It's the book of John. You have seven daily readings. And the best way that I've rolled through it is I find three other guys. Ladies, you find three other girls. And you do seven daily readings. Meet up, talk about it. How are you going to apply it? Go read seven more, come back, meet up, talk about it, apply it, and then read seven more and do that all over again. It takes you three weeks. And you can start doing that this week. You can go buy it on the website and begin to go, okay, this is how I'm going to start the new year. I'm going to start it in God's word. You can start today. There's so many things out there where it makes it so much easier for us to get into God's word. Bible Project's another great resource. Right, where you can watch videos and see how, how God's word is illustrated and how it all works together. There's so much out there that we can get in his word and there's no excuse. And we can start today. Now, maybe you're in this room and you're saying, okay, that's great, Cameron. It's living, it's active, it's effective, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but I just don't believe the Bible's reliable. I don't think it's relevant. So you've been talking this whole time, and really, honestly, I've just been zoning you out because I just don't believe it. I just don't think it's true. Can I just give you a few facts? 
okay? I'm just gonna give you a few facts. You take it, you go wrestle with it, and you let God and the Holy Spirit all work with you, okay? Just take these and go, okay, maybe God's word is true. I just want you to wrestle with that thought after I share these facts. We know that the Bible consists of 66 books, 40 different authors over 1,500 years. And somehow, some way, through those 66 books, 40 different authors over 1,500 years, we have a clear and concise picture of God's revelation to his people. Now, let me just download this for you real quick, because maybe you're sitting there going, okay, that's great, Cameron. You know, I saw, I hear all the numbers. If I was to take 40 people from Colleyville, Texas, and ask them, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus? And what do you believe about the church? I would probably get some varying responses, wouldn't I? It's probably really hard to find 40 people who all agree with each other. So I'm just saying over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, 66 books, and we have a clear and concise picture of God's revelation to ourselves. I, I just think that's convincing. I do. I think it's something worthwhile to wrestle with and go, okay, is this really true? If that doesn't help you, we have 5,000 full, full or partial manuscripts that are Greek of the New Testament. And they're still being found today. We're still discovering more and more manuscripts. And every time we find one, there is no major revision that has been made. None. Here's, here's what's funny. This makes me laugh. Every time I think about this. You ever seen the article that comes out? It's like, we found a new manuscript, right? And it could contradict this part of the Bible, right? And then the article floats around for a little bit. But then guess what happens? It disappears. Why? Because it didn't contradict the Bible, there was nothing there all along. So they just let it float off into nothing, you know, in nowhere's land, and it just goes over there, and then they wait until the next one comes out. And then they're going to go, does it contradict the Bible? And then when it doesn't, they just let it float on out. Why? Because God's word is true. It's reliable. And every time we find another manuscript, every time we find another evidence, archaeological, historical, geographical, it all points back to Jesus. It all points back to the same story. We can trust it. And if that doesn't work, then I want you to look at this picture on the screen. This picture on the screen is a representation of the 63,779 cross-references found in the Bible. Isn't that wild? 63,779 cross-references of people, places, locations. Uh, it could be uh, phrases. And so each arc represents a connection between two chapters in the Bible. Isn't that fascinating? Look, I'm just telling you, when I look at that, I can't think that some Joe Schmo out there thought, I'm going to write this Bible, 66 books. This guy is going to come along and save the world and yada, yada, yada. And I'm going to have 63,779 cross-references. And I'm going to put that all together just to fool everybody. I just find that really hard to believe. And this is just scraping the surface. There's so much out there that I could bore you to death for the next three hours at how God's word is reliable and relevant and true and living and active and effective in all that it does. And that's just a little glimpse that I wanted to give you this morning. If maybe you were wrestling and thinking, okay, I just don't know if it's true. I hope that right there just gave you a little boost of confidence. Just a little boost of confidence to know that this Word, God's word is true, living, and active, and we can trust it. Here's the last point God's word is inescapable. It is inescapable. When we look at verse 12 and 13, 
Uh, really, the latter part of verse 12 says that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. We can't escape God's word. It penetrates the deepest parts of our lives. One scholar said that it probes more deeply than any form of human voice. It reaches into the innermost recesses of our spiritual being and brings our subconscious thoughts to the light. You know that part of the heart when you're in your quiet moment and you're by yourself and you say, man, I hope no one could ever see that part of my heart. God sees that. And his, heart, and his word could go in and he could transform and bring healing to that part of your heart. But we have to release that and, and open that up to him so that his word can transform our heart. And so we think we can run. We can't. Because wherever we're at, God's going to be. His presence is going to be. His word will find us. Jonah tried to run away multiple times and it never worked for him. God found him. His word found him. And he still was pursuing after him. And so it is for us that God is pursuing and he's coming after us just like the prodigal son. That he's awaiting for us to respond to his word. And here's, here's the deal is that when we look at this verse, verse 12, it's found in a really cool part of Hebrews. I love this. I was just studying the one verse, and then I began to expand out, and I'm like, man, this is so beautiful, how God planted this verse 12 in the midst of what he was saying. Chapter 1, I'm going to give you a review. Chapter 1, God spoke to the prophets long ago. He has spoken through his son Jesus today. Chapter 2, he is superior to the angels. He is greater than the angels goes into chapter 2, chapter 3. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than all the prophets. And then you get to chapter 4 and he says, make every effort to enter my rest. Here's what's interesting. All the way leading up to this verse, God quotes this, or uh, the author quotes uh, at least four times this one verse. It's Psalm 95, verse 7 through 8. And he says, today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Isn't that interesting? And that he's, he's saying Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus has come. And he's revealed the way for salvation. Don't harden your heart. But make every effort to enter into the rest of God. For his word is living and active and effective in what it does. And we can trust it. And we can stand on it. And so here's what I want. I want to wrap it up right here. The main idea is this, is that we don't resist, but we rest in the word of God. That when we rest in his word, we have a present rest with the father of peace, assurance, and purpose. But then we get to enter into an internal rest with him. When we rest in his word, when we respond to the truth of the gospel, which is that salvation is found through Christ alone. That when we place faith in Jesus, we will be saved. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I just want to talk to the, maybe the person in the room that came in this morning and you've been wrestling with the idea of Jesus. You know, I, not many people know that when I came to know Jesus, I remember I was in a room, well, I gave my life to Jesus in my bedroom, but I remember the first time I heard Jesus was in a room very much like this. 
And uh, I had never heard of the name Jesus. I heard about God and, and how he's in heaven. And then this guy stood up in front of the room just like this. And he said, he said that Jesus came and died for you. And I remember just in my seat thinking this question, why would someone die for me? And then that man, as he stood in front of the room, he began to share the gospel. And he said, he said that your sin right, has separated you from God, that God had this plan and you had deviated from the plan. And so there's this separation between you and God. And the only way to return back to the Father is through Jesus. For the Bible says, for, the, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the way that we return back to the Father is by confessing that he is Lord, believing in our heart that he died and rose from the grave, and admitting that, man, we, man I'm a sinner. I've been separated from him. And I remember that when he shared that, I, it, was, it was such good news for me that, that Jesus had died for me, that I may return to the Father and to his grand plan for my life. And if that's you this morning, you say, hey, you know what, I'm ready to do that. I just want you to pray this after me, just right there in your seat. God can see your heart. There's nothing special about the prayer. But this is just the beginning part of what God wants to do in your life. So this, just pray this right after me. God, I confess that I have gone my own way. God, I have deviated from your plan for my life. But I believe that Jesus has made a way through his life, death, and resurrection to be brought back to you. So I confess that, that I've, I have sinned. And I believe in you. And I surrender my life to you today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.